Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forever. Okay, uh, I'm going to read you our text verse, which is Exodus 26, 1 through 14, and the sermon is entitled, The Tabernacle and the Tent. I want you to know that starting with this sermon and for several sermons ahead, there's going to be a lot of numbers, all right? Um, every, every detail in the Bible, as you know, points to Christ or something in redemptive history. And so don't get overwhelmed with the numbers. Don't try to memorize them or anything like that. Just know that I've done the work, and if you ever want to refer to it, you can go to the written sermon, which is online, and uh, you can refer to it and do your study. But don't get overwhelmed by numbers. Today is not that bad. One that's coming up is way full of numbers. But I want you to know in advance that there's a reason for these things. And I'll explain that in a minute. Um, let's see here. Exodus 26, starting in verse 1. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread. With artistic designs of Herovim, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled one to another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make the loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtains on the selvage of one set, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make in the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, that the loops may be clasped to one another. And you shall make fifty clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make eleven curtains. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits, and the eleven curtains shall all have the same measurements. And you shall couple five curtains by themselves, and six curtains by themselves, and you shall double over the six curtain at the forefront of the tent. You shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set, and fifty loops on the edge of the curtain of the second set. And you shall make fifty bronze clasps, and put the clasps into the loops, and couple the tent together that it may be one. The remnant that remains of these curtains, of the curtains, of the tent, the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle, and a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. You shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. The details for the creation of all things took a tad bit more than a single chapter of the book of Genesis. The instructions for the tabernacle and its associated rites takes six chapters, most of which are longer than the first chapter of Genesis. Because of this, it is apparently something which is most important to the Lord. As we have seen from chapters 25, every detail thus far is pointed to Christ and his work. Today's 14 verses will be no different. And unfortunately, there are a thousand different directions that I could have gone with these details. 
There is so much information stored up in what we're being told that we could literally spend weeks trying to figure it all out and to sort it all out. This is especially so because there are so many varied opinions and commentaries on what each item symbolizes. Some are wonderful in their insight and some actually stretch the meanings far beyond what would be considered believable. You have to be careful when you read commentaries about these kind of things. In the end, if we just keep thinking of Jesus and how the details point to him, we will be on safe grounds. When we stand before him, all of the mysteries that we miss will be revealed to us. For now, we have enough to fill up our morning with what I think is absolute delight. Our uh, text verse today comes from Psalm 27. It's the fifth verse. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. The design of the tabernacle and the tent are to be viewed from two perspectives, just as any dwelling is. There is that which is on the inside, and there is that which is on the outside. Those on the inside receive the benefits of being on the inside. Those on the outside are excluded from them. The gates around a house keep miscreants out, and at the same time, they keep those inside safe. David understood this, and he said that he would be kept safe in the place of his tabernacle, the secret place of his tabernacle. Believe it or not, that is where you are right now, if you belong to Jesus Christ. And if you don't, then you are far from safe. This is a truth which is to be realized in today's verses. Yes, it's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is details for the tabernacle. It's verses 1 through 6. Today we're going to begin to look at the construction of what is known as the tabernacle. This edifice is actually comprised of three main parts. The first is the tabernacle itself, the dwelling place of the Lord. This is found in Exodus 26, 1 through 6. After that is what is more appropriately called the tent. It is detailed in verses 7 through 13, and its covering is then detailed in verse 14. In the Hebrew, the parts are more readily distinguished than in most English translations. Verse 1, moreover, you shall make the tabernacle. The Mishkan, or tabernacle, was introduced into the Bible in Exodus 25, verse 9. After that, some of the furniture was described in detail. We now return to the Mishkan itself and the details of its construction. Mishkan comes from the verb shakan, which means to dwell. That word was used in Exodus 25, verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Therefore, ha-mishkan is the dwelling place of the Lord, his tabernacle. Although this is a bit out of order, it is important to understand that the tabernacle first pictures Christ in his person. This is seen in Hebrews chapter 8, where it says this. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, erected not man. But it also details more. It pictures the church, the place where the spirit of God dwells in man. This is seen in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It's also seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with these words. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the 16th verse of 2 Corinthians 6. But even more generally, it is also a picture inclusive of each individual Christian. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. This is seen in other New Testament passages as well. The tabernacle is also a representation of the dispensation of grace and of the millennium, as will be seen in detail when we get to the pertinent verses which reflect this. It is also reflective of the plan of salvation itself. This is seen in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9 continues to explain this aspect of Jesus' work in relation to this ancient picture given in the construction of the tabernacle. And in its final sense, it is a representation of the heavenly state, as it pictures Christ Jesus. And as we will dwell with him among his redeemed for all eternity, then in the details of the tabernacle and its furniture are the details of the one that we will dwell with for all time. We see shadows of this in the Old Testament, such as in Isaiah, but we see it fully realized in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 21.3, we read this, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 1 continues, With ten curtains of fine woven linen. The first part to be described is ten curtains. The number ten is explained by Bollinger as signifying the perfection of divine order. As he says, completeness of order, marking the entire round of anything, is, therefore, the ever-present signification of the number 10. It implies that nothing is wanting, that the number and order are perfect, that the whole cycle is complete. Therefore, there is completeness to these individual curtains, which, when combined together, will form a whole. Concerning these curtains, it brings in a new word to the Bible, the Yeriah or curtains, comes from the word yara, which means to quiver or to tremble. As curtains hang and blow in the wind, they give the impression of trembling. These ten curtains are to be specifically made with fine woven linen. This is another new word which will only be found in the book of Exodus, shazar. It comes from a root meaning to twist, as in the twisting of straw to make a cord. This fine linen has its own signification in Scripture, and it is explicitly explained in the book of Revelation, verse 9, 8. And it was given to her that she should be clothed in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Most versions say something like the righteous acts of the saints. However, this is incorrect. This is not speaking about what we do but about what Christ has done for us. 
He is the righteousness of the saints. And we are given a picture of it here in the Old Testament. His righteousness is what the tabernacle is based on. It is intricately intertwined into the very fabric of his being. Thus the use of this word Shazar. The righteous act of a saint, which is credited as worthy of note, is that of calling on Christ and being imputed his righteousness. This is seen in the fine linen of the tabernacle. Verse 1 continues, and blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Likewise, the colors are specific as well, blue, purple, and scarlet. These were all designed and specified in Exodus 25, verse 4, and are renamed here. Without giving all of the detail from that verse, I'm going to remind you of the symbolism of those colors. Blue is associated with the law, especially the keeping of the law. Purple or blue-red is one of royalty or that which pertains to or belongs to a king. As it is a mixture of blue and red, in meaning it is thus a combination of what those two colors mean. The law for blue and war, blood, and or judgment for red. Lastly, two words are used to describe the scarlet. Tola'at shani. Taken together, they are translated as scarlet, but implying the scarlet which comes from the tola, or the grub worm. Scarlet, or red in the Bible, pictures and symbolizes war, blood, and or judgment. These were all to be used for weaving directly into the fine woven linen, and all of the colors beautifully picture the future work of Christ. He is the embodiment of the law, indicated by the blue. He is the royal king who dispenses judgment in regard to his law, indicated by the purple. And his shed blood is the judgment on sin, or that which testifies against the sin of the unregenerate, indicated by the scarlet. All of this is woven into the pure white linen, indicating his perfect righteousness. Verse 1 continues, With artistic designs of cherubim you shall weave them. These curtains, like some other portions of the tabernacle and its furnishings, are to be designed with cherubim woven into them. Cherubim are a select class of angels which, among other things, are near to God. They have great power and they act as guards. As they are guards of the tree of life, they are the ones who can point man to the way of accessing the right to that tree. This is an immediate hint that what is being constructed is a place which is symbolically guarded for a specific purpose. In Genesis 3, after the fall of man and their exile from Eden, cherubim were placed strategically and with a purpose. Here's what it says in Genesis 3:24. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The tabernacle's symbolic guarding by these cherubim is intended to show us several things. First, that which is inside is guarded and access is therefore restricted. What is implied but unstated is that it is that which will provide access back to the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, and direct fellowship with God. Each of these was lost at the fall of man, and all are guarded and unattainable because of these powerful cherubim whose job it is to keep access limited. This is implied because the purpose of the account in Genesis was to show us what was lost. From there we are learning how it will be reclaimed. Everything thus far in Genesis and in Exodus is progressively revealing God's plan of redemption and man's return to intimate fellowship with him. Secondly, if something is guarded, it means that access is possible. If there's a lock on a safe, it is meant to guard access to that safe. 
but the safe can be opened and access can be obtained with the right key or combination. The safe hasn't been welded shut permanently. Instead, it merely requires the proper validation for access. And so thirdly, the guarding of the Harovim implies that what is inside being guarded is that proper validation, if you will. It is what provides access. As we saw in chapter 25 in the details of the mercy seat, the Lord said that he would meet there above the mercy seat between the Harovim with Moses. It is the spot where access is restored. This is why the details for the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat were given first. As they picture Christ, his life, work, and death, then we can see that he is that marvelous access point back to restored fellowship with God. The details of that furniture were an anticipatory look into a picture of that which will now be concealed from the sight of man for approximately 1,500 years. Only the high priest and only once a year was allowed to view these marvelous objects which prefigure the person and the work of Jesus Christ. However, there is more to consider concerning these cherubim. As the tabernacle pictures not only Christ in his work, but his church and also his individual people, then these cherubim symbolize the angels who protect his people. This is seen, for example, in Psalm 34. It says there, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. They also symbolize the heavenly beings that minister to the Lord on behalf of his people. This is seen in the 103rd Psalm. Bless the Lord, you angels who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. And finally, they picture those angels who minister for those who will inherit salvation. This is seen in Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? As the tabernacle is the place where God meets with man, picturing Christ, then each of these other meanings is tied up in that main picture. Christ is the subject of the tabernacle. The redemption of man is the object which is anticipated. And thus, when we are in Christ, we become united to the subject. It's a marvelous thing to consider as we look at the individual pieces being drawn together into a united whole. Verse 2, the length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain, 4 cubits. In the dimensions given, when the curtains are united together, it will cover the entire frame of the tabernacle with there being one cubit short of the ground on either side. The height will be 10 cubits, and the width, 10 cubits. Therefore, the height on each side, combined with the width across the top, is a total of 30 cubits. As these curtains will go across the width of the tabernacle, and as they are 28 cubits long, then they will leave one cubit from the ground on each side. In total, each curtain is 28 by 4 cubits, or 112 square cubits. This number is a multiple of 7. 7 times 16 equals 112. The number 4 is the predominant number, though. The length, 28, is a multiple of 4 times 7, and its width is 4. Bullinger notes that four denotes and marks that which follows the revelation of God in the Trinity, namely his creative works. He is known by the things that are seen. Hence, the written revelation commences with the words, in the beginning God created. Creation, therefore, is the next thing, the fourth thing. And the number four always has reference to that, all that is created. It is emphatically the number of creation 
of man in his relation to the world as created. There is exacting purpose in the dimensions of this edifice. Verse 2 continues. Now, before I go on, I want you to know that every time you see a number in the Bible, it is consistent. This isn't something that somebody just made up and said, this means this. Wherever you go in the Bible, it will be consistent. And that shows you that from Genesis to Revelation, with 40 different authors, they had a single unified intent of what is going on in this structure and in all other numbers found throughout the Bible. Verse 2 continues. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Ten curtains are to be made just as the same as the first. Therefore, there will be 1,120 square cubits of curtains. This is a multiple of both 7, 7 times 160, and 4, 4 times 280. In this, there is then 4 creation, 7 spiritual perfection, and 10 perfection of divine order. Verse 3, five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. Two sets of five curtains each were to be sewn together along the long side. Therefore, each main section was to have five panels each, which were 28 cubits by four cubits. When they were sewn together, they were to each be 28 by 20 cubits or 560 square cubits. Verse 4, And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage of one set, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. In this verse, the word lula'ah, or loops, is introduced into the Bible. It's going to be seen 13 times and only in Exodus concerning the construction of this tabernacle. Another new word is choberet, or set. It is seen only four times, only in Exodus, and only in regard to the curtain sets which form the tabernacle and the tent. And finally, the word kitson, or outer, is introduced. This will be used only four times, only in Exodus, and only regarding these coverings. The reason for using these words is to ensure specificity in construction. There are two identical curtains of size and design. They are to be joined together. In order to ensure that the right edge of the curtains is used in the joining process, one side is chosen from the first, and then the opposite edge of the other curtain will be chosen. That way, when they're coupled together, they will continue in the same direction. In other words, all ten panels will flow in the same way instead of five running one way and then the other five being turned around and running in the opposite direction. The loops were to be blue in color. Blue, as I said earlier, is given in association with what? The law. Thank you. Specifically in the keeping of it. Verse 5. Fifty loops you shall make in the one curtain and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set that the loops may be clasped to one another. The loops that are being sewn on one panel should exactly meet up with the loops on the other panel. The word clasped is what tells us this. It is the word cabal, which is introduced here. It means to take or to accept. Each of the 50 loops was to meet up with each of the other 50, accepting one another in a union where they would then be clasped together. The King James Version gives a very poor rendering of this verse by saying that the loops may take hold of one another. It is not the loops which will take hold of one another. It is that the loops will allow one another to be united by the use of golden clasps. Specificity is very important here, and the translation is lacking in this case. Verse 6, And you shall make fifty clasps of gold, and couple the curtains together with the clasps, so that it may be one tabernacle. The clasp is now introduced into the Bible. 
it is the word caress, and it will be used just 10 times, all in Exodus and all in the construction of the tabernacle and the tent. It comes from the word karas, which means to stoop over. And so you get the idea of a clasp which is bent like a stooped over person. 50 of these were to be made to unite the 100 loops into a single unit, which would cover the entire tabernacle. Together, they would be 40 cubits long, 28 cubits wide, and a total of 1,120 square cubits. As the tabernacle is only 30 cubits long, then there will be 10 extra cubits which will go over the back of the tabernacle behind the most holy place. When you take your communion today, come up and look at this and you'll see all of this detail in this particular tabernacle depiction that we have. Unfortunately, the people on YouTube don't get to see this, but that helps you immensely by seeing what's going on. And there are problems with this as well. I want you to know, Paul and I were talking about him last week, but just so you know, everything in the Bible is exact, it's precise, and it's there for a reason. We know that this last 10 cubits is going to go over the back of the tabernacle, though, because in verse 36, it will note that there is a screen door which will cover the front of the tabernacle at the entrance to the holy place. Therefore, and this is not without importance, the gold clasps will be right along the place where the veil hangs between the holy place and the most holy place. However, because of the gold loops, it says here that it may be one tabernacle. It's getting ahead of ourselves, but before going on, the symbolism of what is going on here must be explained. And my hair standing up at the thought of it. The holy place is 10 by 10 by 20 cubits. The most holy place is 10 by 10 by 10 cubits, or 1,000 square cubits. This then points to the work of Christ. The 2,000 cubits symbolize the 2,000 years of the church age. The 1,000 cubits are symbolic of the millennium. The entire tabernacle, then, is a picture of the time of God dwelling with man because of the work of Christ here on earth. Those in the church form the church, which is the body of Christ. Though the two dispensations are distinct, they are united as one by the 50 golden clasps. The gold points to the divine nature of Christ who joins the dispensations together. Bollinger defines the number 50 as the number of jubilee or deliverance. It is the issue of seven times seven and points to deliverance and rest following on as the result of the perfect consummation of time. The two dispensations after Christ's work are united by these 50 clasps which signify the deliverance and rest of those who have come to Christ in either dispensation and after the completion of his work. This unity of the body, symbolized by the unity of the two parts of the tabernacle, is exactly what Jesus Christ prayed for on the night before he was crucified. John 17, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You see, it's all pictured right in this tabernacle. It is as if his words come alive in the mind when reading the details for the construction of the tabernacle and what it ultimately signifies. The blue loops, which the clasps are united to, picture the law fulfilled in Christ's work. It is the point where all of the redeemed of both the church age and the millennium are united. A place for my people to dwell. 
a place for those who have come to me. Pictures of it are seen in the tabernacle oh so well. Pictures hidden in plain sight for any to come and see. A plan for the redeemed of the Lord is seen in each and every detail, and they are recorded carefully in my word for those who will take a walk on the inquisitive trail. There they will find me in the Holy of Holies. All is accomplished for those who find their way in. I will show them wonderful, eternal glories if through my blood the victory they do win. Our second thought today is details for the tent. This is verses 17 through 14. I'm sorry, 7 through 14. Verse 7, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. This verse begins the instructions for the ohel, or tent, which will cover the tabernacle. Some versions say a covering, or the tabernacle, but this is more than a covering. It is an entire tent. The word ohel is much better rendered as tent. The tent was to be made out of goat's hair. There is importance in this for several reasons. First, it would be an actual protection for the tabernacle itself. The sun would bleach out the linen, the rain would destroy it and cause its colors to run, and the other elements in general would cause it to degrade. Secondly, the goat is an animal used as an offering. In fact, the book of Leviticus begins with the burnt offering of which the goat was acceptable. The sin offering of Leviticus chapter 9 and the sin offering for the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16 are goat offerings. Thus, the covering signifies that of atonement. In other words, that which is inside is what is atoned for. And as an interesting connection to this for the people outside looking at the tent, they would see it woven with goat's hair. Hair in the Bible points to awareness and consciousness. This tent, when seen, was to be a reminder of the sinful state of man and that we are to have a conscience concerning it. In the tent is a picture of Christ who appeared among us, but without sin. His earthly body was the means of our atonement, and within him is embodied everything we have thus far seen. The ark, the mercy seat, the table of showbread, the menorah, and the tabernacle. The external we see in the goat tent is to direct us to the internal, which is provided by his body and his atonement. Verse 7 going on, you shall make 11 curtains. The word ashte is introduced here. It means the 11th. It comes from the word ashat, which means to think. Thus, there is even in the number 11 the idea of conscience and awareness. We are being asked to think when we look at this part of the tent. Bullinger details the meaning of the number 11. It is the number which marks disorder, disorganization, imperfection, and disintegration. As we move outward from the tabernacle, there is a disintegration of that which is perfect. In the need for atonement, there is the understanding that sin exists. The imperfection is not in God or in Christ, but in who they are dealing with. This is why those inside the tabernacle are considered perfect, not because of their own righteousness, but because of the one to whom they have moved to positionally. And so those outside are, by default, imperfect and in need of atonement. Verse 8, the length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits, and the eleven curtains shall all have the same measurements. Unlike the curtains of the tabernacle, these cannot be evenly divided by seven. Thus again, there is the hint of imperfection. They are 30 times four, or 120 square cubits, and Bullinger describes the number 30. It denotes in a higher degree the perfection of divine order as marking the right moment. 
If four is that which is created and 30 is the right moment, then this follows naturally with Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Those outside are alive and in need of atonement. If they are in sight of the tent, then it is the right moment. Verse 9, and you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. In the case of these curtains, there's a lack of symmetry, which existed in that of the tabernacle. 11 curtains instead of 10. For this reason, they are united into sections of 5 and 6. The two sets would then equal 600 square cubits and 720 square cubits, or a total of 1,320 square cubits. In surface area, it would be 30 cubits wide to cover the entire tabernacle down to the ground on each side, and 44 cubits long to cover the ground on the back and seemingly to hang over the front. Thus, the tabernacle would be completely obscured from view. Man's eyes would not see the place where the Lord dwelt without first receiving atonement. But there is much more. Verse 9 continues, And you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent. The sixth curtain of the larger set wasn't hanging over the front at all. Instead, it's to be folded back onto itself, presumably to give it a finished look. However, this would then make a covering of 32 times 40, or 1,260 square cubits in total. Bible scholars, where is the number 1,260 located in the Bible? Revelation. Revelation. And what does it signify? Uh, half, of the... half of the tribulation period. Thank you. However, we are now at 1,260 square cubits in total. This number corresponds to an interval of judgment. A biblical year is 360 days. Three and a half years, as our wise friend over here said, equals 1260 days. This is the amount of time that rain was withheld from the land during the time of Elijah, which is recorded in Luke 4.25. It also comprises the two divisions of the tribulation period of Revelation, 42 months, which is 1260 days, and specifically 1260 days. Again, the tent over the tabernacle speaks of judgment. Either sin will be atoned for and one may move into the edifice, or sin will not be atoned for and judgment outside of it will be the result. Again, as is so often the case, the King James Version unfortunately translates the last word as tabernacle, not tent. The word is ohel, and it is completely different than the mishkan or tabernacle which it covers. Verse 10, you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain of the second set. The directions here correspond to those of verse 5 and how the pieces are to be laid out and then have their loops attached. Verse 11, and you shall make 50 bronze clasps. Put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. It's important to note at this point that the further one moves from the Holy of Holies, the materials that are used to become less and less valuable. They also, as you have seen, carry different meaning. In the Holy of Holies, there is perfection, there is holiness, there is purity and fellowship with God. Each step away from there, one finds another aspect of being removed from that perfection. Bronze, or nechoshet, as a metal in the Bible, signifies judgment. In the uniting together of these curtains, there is a sense of judgment. For those inside, their judgment is past. 
for those outside, their judgment lies ahead. One is either in Christ and has been justified through his judgment on sin, or one is not in Christ and will be condemned by his work of judgment of sin. Every detail continuously points us to the work of Christ for or against humanity. As a side note, older translations are incorrect in this verse. They say brass instead of bronze. It was either copper or bronze at this point of history. Brass was not yet used. Verse 12, the remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. The word for remnant, serach, is used only here in the entire Bible. It comes from the verb sarach, which means excess. The tabernacle was 40 cubits long. This covering here is 44, but two are folded over at the front, and so there are still two cubits left over. This was to hang all the way over the tabernacle and completely cover it, just as the extra cubit on each side was to do. Nothing of the tabernacle was to be seen at all. Verse 13, and a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. The translation here is lacking. The Hebrew says, and the cubit, not a cubit. This is specifically speaking of the cubit of the goat's hair covering, which was 30 cubits across. It was to exceed the linen covering of verse 2, which was only 28 cubits. This extra cubit was to be on either side of the tabernacle, and it was to be allowed to hang down like a valance in order to completely hide the golden boards of the tabernacle. Thus, only a picture of the awareness of sin and judgment was to be seen in this. Verse 14, you shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent. After the covering of goat's hair, the entire structure was to next be covered with ram skins dyed red. The word covering is mixe. It is used 14 times in the Bible, and all but one are in regards to this tabernacle. The other time it was used was in Genesis 8, verse 13, where it says, And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering, that word, of the ark, and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. Thus, this is a weather covering. These orot elim me adamim, or skin rams dyed red, form their own picture. The ram is the leader of the flock and its protector. The protection is seen in its power to butt with its horns, which are a symbol of strength in the Bible. The symbolism we are to see then is that of Christ, the protector of his people. The verb for dyed red, or adom, is found ten times in the Bible. It comes from the idea of being made red, or to show blood in the face. The use of these ramskins dyed red will picture Christ's covering of our sins. It is explained by the use of Adom in the book of Isaiah, where he says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red, that word Adom, like crimson, they shall be as wool. After this, Paul shows how this points to Christ in 2 Corinthians, where he says, For he made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thus, what we see pictured here is atonement for those inside and a lack of atonement for those outside. With each covering, there is a dualism to be seen. And it is seen just as well in the final covering, which finishes our verses today. Verse 14 finishes up with these words, and a covering of badger skins above that. Umixe orot techashim mil mal'ela. 
literally, and a covering skins of porpoise above. To review from a couple sermons ago, the word is tachash, and it is always governed by the word orot, or skins. Therefore, it is the height of an animal. But the translation of the King James Version and the New King James Version of badgers is dubious at best. The badger is rarely, if ever, seen in Sinai, and it lacks any cognate language support. Rather, this word is cognate to the Arabic word tuchas, or porpoise. You can hear the similarity, tachash and tuchas. Therefore, in modern translations, it is normally called the porpoise, the dolphin, or the dugong, which is like a manatee. Thus, it would be a light gray to sky blue covering. This word is always used in connection with the covering for the tabernacle with but one exception, which is found in Ezekiel chapter 16, where it is used to describe figurative sandals worn by Jerusalem. As Bedouins still use the dugong for such sandals, even to modern times, such a sea animal is the most likely translation. As this skin will be used as the outermost covering of the tabernacle, it's most appropriate for that because the skin of a marine animal like the dolphin would have been eminently suitable both for its toughness and for its waterproofing properties. As the sea is representative of the world of chaos and confusion and rebellion, this then makes a beautiful picture of Christ's covering us from that. This would fit also very well with the one non-tabernacle use of this word in Ezekiel concerning the sandals which are made of this skin. Having such skin for shoes would then infer that the chaos of the sea was underfoot and it was subdued. Each of the coverings over the furniture of the tabernacle has a dual purpose. The woven material with the cherubim signifies protection for those within by the angel and yet guarding against intrusion by those who are outside. The goat's hair and bronze clasps signify atonement and accomplished judgment on sin for those who are inside, but pending judgment and no atonement for those outside. The ram skins signify both atonement and protection for those inside and a lack of atonement and a warring against those outside. And finally, the skin of sea animals signifies order, harmony, and peace with God for those who are inside and chaos, confusion, and enmity with God for those who are outside. In the end, every single verse has brought us insights into the work of Jesus Christ, the nature of the church, and the status of the redeemed. It is a marvel, and it is a wonder to see the beauty of what is represented in these 14 verses. So now it's time to ask yourself whether you are on the inside or on the out. The things we have seen today show intelligence, even wisdom. They show purpose, and they show intent, and they show us the truth that one is either in Jesus Christ and is safe, or he is not in Christ, and he is heading to a very bad eternity. If you've never taken stock of yourself and where you're going, today would be a good day to do it. Call on Christ and enter into his tabernacle. Let me tell you how to do that. The Bible tells us very clearly in just a couple verses that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Anybody that didn't, you know, denies that, all you need to do is just ask them, do you have children? Oh yeah, I have children. Did you have to teach them how to do wrong? And they'll say, no, of course not. They knew how to do wrong. And disobeying a parent is sin. Stealing is sin. All of these things are sin. And we all have done that because our own parents had to teach us the same things. And how did they teach us? By first learning that we were doing wrong, right? So all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And then the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We die because we have sin in our lives. But more importantly, that's speaking of a second type of death. It's spiritual death, which happened at the fall of man. 
man was separated from God when Adam sinned against him. And we all inherited that. As we saw today in Paul's analysis of the Roman Catholic Church, where they say that Mary never inherited sin. That's not true. We do not have a co-redeemer and we do not have a co-mediatrix. There is one person that was born without sin. Not two. She didn't ascend to heaven to monitor things for us. Jesus Christ is doing that perfectly all by himself. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. So we all have sin. We all fall short of the glory of God because of that sin. And the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you just simply call on Jesus Christ as Lord and ask him to forgive you of your sins, all pictured by these different crazy things that people read and they say, oh, I don't understand what's going on here. The Bible is showing us in other parts of the Bible explaining what these things picture. Those people had these coverings, but they didn't know what they pictured. But later in the Bible, something comes along and says, this pictures that. Blue is the law. Red is judgment on sin, or it's the shed blood of Christ, right? You've got purple, which is his kingly status. All of this is explained later in the Bible, so that we are progressively being shown what is coming. And then Christ came to do these things, fulfill them for us. And if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You will move from outside this tabernacle, inside, protected by a host of angels, taking care of you until the day that Christ comes for his church. Man, I can't wait for that. I can't. I hope that trumpet blows right away. So tired of being here sometimes. You know, you get frustrated with life and all the crazy things that happen. That trumpet's going to blow and I'm going to jump, so I'm ahead of all of you. Okay? Our closing verse is uh, from Psalm 61. It's verses 3 and 4. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. Now, next week we have Exodus 26, 15 through 30. In Christ, we have something we can claim. It's entitled a sure foundation and a steady frame. That'll be our 72nd Exodus sermon. And I'll tell you, as I tell you each week, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters and he can lead you through it on dry ground. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? A little bit of a long poem today because we had 14 whole verses to analyze. So uh, it's called The Tabernacle and the Tent. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle, yes, as I have said, with 10 curtains of fine woven linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. You shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits. These, its contents. And the width of each curtain, four cubits for certain. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, you see, and the other five curtains to one another coupled shall be. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage of one set, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Do not forget. Fifty loops you shall make in the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge too of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, that the loops may be clasped together one to another, so you shall do. And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle, just as you have been told. You shall make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains for the tabernacle there. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, these its contents, and the width of each curtain four cubits for certain, and the 11 curtains shall all have the same measurements. 
and you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves too. And you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent, so you shall do. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain of the second set. Do not forget. And you shall make 50 bronze clasps Put the clasps into the loops, so you shall do, and couple the tent together, that it may be one, just as I instruct you. The remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent, so I now instruct to you, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle, so you shall do. And a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. To that extent, you shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. No detail shall you circumvent a tabernacle. You have asked to be made a place where you will dwell among us. You have selected how it is to be arrayed to give us hints of the coming Messiah, Jesus, and how marvelous it is for us to see the wonderful things you have in this tabernacle displayed a place for you to dwell among us eternally. For in Christ Jesus, a body you have made. Thank you, O God, for this wonderful redemption story. It is filled with marvelous details which show us of your glory. And so to you we sing and to you we give all of our praise. And it will continue on forever and ever. Yes, for eternal days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, it is just such a joy to look at these things and to study it and to see little tidbits of what's coming, what is, what has been. And, uh, just to ponder how much I have missed. I just, I, I know that someday I'm going to stand there and I'm going to just be going be, 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 to you when I think I have missed that and I've missed that and I've missed that and I've missed that and I've missed that. And what a poor job I did in presenting this tabernacle, which pictures you. But Lord, I ask that you would accept this as my offering this week to these wonderful people that are sitting here and those that are streaming online and those that watch YouTube, that they will at least have a small insight into the marvelous glory of what this actually pictures. Your son, our Lord Jesus, who stepped out of the eternal realm and united with human flesh, his righteousness, his fulfillment of the law, his shed blood, and his royal kingly status, and all of the other things that he did, the atonement for us, the protection for us, the restoration of peace and harmony, and the taking away of the chaos and the disorder, all of it pictured in these simple pictures that those people wove together or melded together with their their uh, metalworking or all the different things that they did, not realizing the glory which lay ahead in Jesus Christ. How thankful we are for these pictures. And Lord, I also want to petition to you for the people that are suffering right now. We have people with physical ailments. We have people with family problems. We have people that are disheartened that are disillusioned and that are just going through very difficult times. And I would ask that you would remind them that if they are in Christ Jesus, they are in the sweet spot. They are in your tabernacle right now. And even if the world is coming against them, you are there protecting them. They may lose their body. They may degrade in one way or another. They may end up in a bad situation with the finances or whatever else. We're not here to proclaim prosperity, but we are to proclaim that we are given an eternal inheritance and it is assured because of this picture, because of Jesus. We thank you for that. We love you. We praise you and we exalt you for it. And we do it in his name. Amen.
it never ceases to amaze me. I know there's a ton of information. That's why I tell you in advance, don't try to memorize what I'm telling you. It's all written down. You just, you know what? It's all there, and the good thing is that if somebody asks you in the future, you say, I know where to go. And if you can't find the sermon yourself, just email me, and I've got them all in alphabetical order on my computer, and I'll whip it off to you. Then you can show them. See what this picture's? Because Jewish people especially need to know this. They lived this, all of that history, and then they rejected the one that it all pictures. But if they can see the pictures, if they can see what it actually pictures and focuses on, that is where the magic is, where the glory is, that Christ is being revealed. Maybe that'll help them. So just keep that in mind, okay? And we get the instruction for the Lord's Supper directly from the Bible. We get it from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we do add in a prayer, which Jesus would have said. Other than that, it's right from Paul's hand, where he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he would have given thanks over it. He would have said these words, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzilechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. He brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took a cup after supper, and he would have blessed us as well. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei peri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.
the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Heavenly Father, there are those who aren't here today, and uh, need to pray for uh, safe travels for the bridges as they make the trek, trip back from uh, North Carolina. And once again, for each person here who has some type of problem in their life, some type of difficulty, we would pray for them, and that you would be with them and help them to rise above that. And uh, we thank you for this table, which we can participate in, which shows us that everything is going to be okay. We're proclaiming your death until you come again. And certainly you are coming again. And may that day be soon. We love you and we praise you and we exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.